Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. In healthier times, we preview our weekly dinner and a movie series at the Bourbon Barrel here in Erie and interview creative entrepreneurs. Today, we're coming to you in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, each of us recording at home. In our current format, we discuss industry news and help alleviate your boredom with our film and series recommendations. We invite you, our listeners, to give your feedback on our selections. We know you all have opinions. I'm Jesse Olszewski, filmmaker and project coordinator at the Greater Erie Film Office. I'm Erica Berlin. I'm the executive director of the Film Society of Northwestern PA. I'm John Lyons, filmmaker, teaching artist, and director of programming at the Film Society. We are also joined by Stuart Nash and Mike Berlin. They'll be joining us later. All right, so um, this week we're going to talk a little bit about some of the film exhibition that's happening, some of the creative films, uh, film exhibition solutions, now that we're not allowed to go into theaters with each other anymore, both locally and nationally. We're going to talk about Canada's response to COVID-19 for those in the entertainment industry and the recent announcement from the Toronto International Film Festival, which I know many of us have attended before. It's very close by, close to our hearts. And of course, we're going to share our thoughts on this week's picks, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and the first three episodes of The Spy. But first, how's everyone doing? So good. <laughs> so last I, heard, we spoke. I, I heard you you might be tackling some writing some new projects uh yeah i've i've gotten some some writing done getting some things accomplished creatively i was in a funk you guys are yeah. helping me out of it well this is fun doing the podcast is fun certainly Indeed. helps me i've been gardening we've been having like this very good weather i don't know I keep thinking it's later in the year than it is. And if it wasn't so cold, although we've had some good days. Anyway, I've just been spending a lot of time outdoors and I've been really enjoying that. That's awesome. I've been skating. Nice. In my mask. In your mask. Yeah. Are people still not getting out of the way? This weekend, there were actually less people. There were still a good amount. I mean, I'm used to it. Even when there's not a pandemic, people... People are very not aware when they're on the path because it's used by bikers and skaters. So it's okay though. I should get a bell. Well, yeah, but you should always also get comfortable just shouting out on your left. Oh, I do. Okay, good. I've gotten uh, yelled at for not saying that before. So now I always say it. Yeah, I, I always learn to say it. I am. Well, I mean, I should say as of today, today is April 6th. Okay. It's Monday, April 6th. And as of today, we have 27 COVID cases. We have seven more today, which sometimes we have more in a day and sometimes we have less today. We have seven. Um, We have community spread going on, which we weren't sure we were having, but we are. Um, not very encouraging to go out in public, especially doing shopping because there are tons of people everywhere. I know people are really like going crazy, like cabin fever. I get it. I totally get it. But we have a lot of people that are out in public and it's hard to avoid. I'm not a big fan of that. If I see a full parking lot, I'm like, nope, not going. I went at 7 a.m. yesterday morning to do my grocery shopping and that was, that was fine but it was starting to fill up with people while I was leaving. Maybe my anxiety is starting to grow. I don't know, but it's a real thing. I think it's a time capsule, you know, might as well comment on it. Well, in a week when this airs, I'm sure everything will be great. I'm sure we'll be longing for the days that we had 27 cases. That's Let's talk about something more creative than that. Something a little cooler than that. Movie theaters are off limits. We can't go into movie theaters, but certain movie theaters are thinking, how can we give people something to do while still maintaining social distancing? And one theater in Texas decided they were going to turn their parking lot into a movie theater, into a drive-in. 
So we don't, we have one in the Erie area way. I mean, they're way less popular now than they used to be. Um, but it should be said, this isn't a drive-in movie theater. This it's is not a drive-in regular theater. That's right. Yes. Their parking lot. Yes. They, they just invited people to their parking lot and are projecting the movie on the side of their building or something. And the audio is broadcast over the air, the radio. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a fun experience. I, I saw a picture the other day of, you know, pre COVID families and everyone's sitting there on their phone and then like a post COVID family and everyone's running through a field and like holding hands and, you know, interacting with each other. And I'll say again that, you know, it's an interesting time that we're remembering that we can do things together and that we enjoy each other and that we're not always just sucked into what's on our phone. I love the idea of having a, having a drive-in. How fun. Haven't done that since high school. And if that was going on here in Erie, I would totally do it. Another thing that was... Do we have a big enough wall somewhere? Well, the Mill Creek Mall has walls everywhere. Oh, yeah, that's true. A lot of vacant department stores. Yeah. Maybe there's a maybe there's an opportunity there. Food for thought. There are also some other really cool things going on locally that you can participate in. So last week we did the dinner and a movie um, that Room 33 and Erie Movie House did, which was very cool. So Room 33 did food for four people, which of course was Mike and I. And food for four people is like consumable by two people. Yeah. <laughs> Pizza. They have good food. Yeah. Yes, with um, crust from International Bakery and a homemade sauce. It was delicious. Um, we got pepperoni, but I'm sure you could get vegetarian if you wanted to. Um, and 12 chicken wings that had some really, really interesting sauces on them. We got buffalo and maple maple barbecue, and um, and then four bags of popcorn, a two candy bars, a bag of Skittles, a thing of Coke. Like it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. Um, we didn't eat it all in one night, but um, especially the candy. But uh, it was really cool. So then the Erie Movie House hosted a Facebook watch party of Night of the Living Dead. And um, I actually had never seen it before. We put it on. I watched it for a while. We kind of moved on to something else. So I didn't do the whole thing. But the Facebook watch party was very cool. So things like that um, are, you know, um, royalty free. They're licensed. What, what do you call that, John? License. Anyway, public, public domain. Public Movies domain. are in the public domain. Yeah. So those Their are licenses have expired, or they never had a license, so you can show them whenever you want and not pay anybody. Yeah, and Night of the Living Dead is probably the most famous public domain movie there is. So if yeah. you're ever shooting a movie, you can show it in the movie mm-hmm. for free. And yeah. many have. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> So, so public domain movie you can show on a Facebook watch. Um, unfortunately, you know, even if we wanted to, we probably, we couldn't do something like that with films that we would choose. Although there are some public domain ones out there that might, uh, that might be a good idea, but we couldn't, so like, how does, we couldn't show knives out. Right. So how does a uh, um, Facebook watch work? Are you like chatting with other people while you're watching it? You can Is chat. It- Um, basically it shows you everyone that's in watching the movie with you and you can chat and you can react just like you do if you're watching something um live you know you could like it you can laugh at it you know you can hit your your response and then you can comment I not a ton of comments you know but definitely folks in the room and yeah it was it was fun to fun to do cool kind of connected to what you were talking about Erica I've been continually researching um, virtual theaters. So um, that's kind of like what you're talking about now, but these are new movies um, considered like art house, independent, international. So basically the logistics of those are that a distributor, what they're doing is distributors are partnering with venues. So if they wanted to partner with the film society, basically they would brand a screening around the film society or film grain dinner in a movie and you have a private link 
and you go onto a website and you pay for your ticket. Average price is $12. And essentially you go and just watch a movie and sometimes on, on the internet, of course. And um, sometimes they will have a Q&A with the filmmaker afterwards, like a private Zoom or something like that. Um, so that's something that they're trying out. As you mentioned, Erica, um, the mainstream movies, uh, the companies that you license those films through, they're not doing anything like this. Um, so it would be more like our programming at the Erie Art Museum. So again, it would be art house, independent, international documentary. So I was just curious what you guys thought of that because it would be a different kind of programming for us. And I'm curious if any of our listeners would be interested in doing something like that. But that's what's going on um, because a lot of these films that were about to come out now, you know, they're in a tough spot because they're building up all this marketing for a film to premiere, for example, in April. And then the rug got um, kind of pulled out from under them. So, so there's that. Well, I, I love the idea. I think that people still want to connect with each other. I think they want to feel like they're in a live experience. I do. And $12 a ticket. I mean, I would do it. I mean, it's a little high because your overhead is a little bit lower, but I get to watch it in my jammies and <laughs> there's certainly a value to that. I would do it. Absolutely. Yeah, the ticket's $12 because the venue's splitting 50-50 with the distributor. So we would only be making $6 um, on each sale. So, yeah, just something to think. I mean, you know, we split our our cost now with mm -hmm. uh, with the bourbon barrel for, for dinner and a movie. Yeah, and a lot of them are marketing it as, you know, supporting the organization. Um in these tough times where I like it. we're not making any revenue. So I like it. So we have that uh, Toronto to transition into the Toronto International Film Festival. They're doing a stay at home cinema series, which is something similar. And to kind of give us some insight into what, you know, the big festivals and big exhibitors are doing. Toronto, they have the Tiff Bell Lightbox, which is their screening venue. Um, they announced, which kind of, you know, hit me with a dose of reality and made me really sad. Um, their co-heads just announced this week that they're closing the light box until July 1st and that they're focusing all of their efforts on hopefully having the film festival in September. But um, that yeah. one made me sad because it feels yeah. like July 1st is so far off, but... But it's not really, I mean, it's, it's almost three months, but just think when our, you know, by April 30th, when we're, we should be done with our stay at home, I guess it's a wait and see, really. It's kind of indefinite. What's another two months? <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see. But I hope they do get to do the fest. I mean, if anybody out there, you know, has thought about going to the Toronto Film Festival, it is such an accessible fest. And um, it's only like a three and a half hour drive. It's, it's, it's one so of the best film festivals to. in the world. And it's a wonderful fest. Toronto's such an easy city to get around. Um, tickets are easy to get. Yeah, it's wonderful. Highly recommend. So fingers crossed that we get it in September. What do you got, Jesse? Exciting, more exciting news from Canada that they are planning to pay 75% of wages for entertainment producers hit by the coronavirus, which is pretty exciting to see someone kind of come right out and try and offer relief for people who really need it. Um, but basically, in the article The Hollywood Reporter released, basically, if... Um, you can, sh if, if you have a company, an entertainment company, and you can show a loss of revenue, you can apply and it can pay your workers. And then in the article, they, they kind of have talked to, it's mostly independent producers and things like that. Um, some production companies are able to transition their work and work from home if it's things like animating or post-production work and stuff like that doesn't always qualify for uh, this proposal. But um, they say, you know, not 
every company is going to be able to do this to basically keep everyone employed and working from home. So it would be great to see something like this uh, here in the States. Yeah. We've got a huge industry and lots of people not able to, to bring in any income in their craft. Well, it's just a huge reminder how big the entertainment industry really is. And I think here in the United States, we, we see like entertainment and the products of entertainment, people who create it are celebrities, Mm. but how much do people really think about the industry that it, um, that, that it empowers? I mean, it's. If you look at any blockbuster movie and you watch the credits at the end, those are all working people and produces about 500 of those every year. Yep. A lot of livelihoods. Yeah. And here we are thinking, let's give it a shot and try to get something like that going in Erie. And we still have that dream. We still have that vision. You know, we'll see how it goes as we recover from this economic downturn. Just put it mildly. We'll see how it goes. I think Erie even is even more attractive because you have people that are very eager to work. Um, you have low cost, you know, low cost of, of facilities and resources. Um, and then you have the Pennsylvania tax credit, which I'm guessing could go either way. They could say, "Mm, we need to, we need to put a cap on this again. We need to reduce it in order to get, um, resources in another area, or they want to jumpstart the the industry again and and attract those those productions from other from other states. So we'll see how that goes. Let's hope it's the latter. Let's yeah. hope. Yep. All right. So this week we watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is on Hulu a film from last year, and we watched The Spy, which is a series on Netflix. So I picked Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It is um, a French film from director Celine Sciamma. Uh, We showed her film Girlhood at Film at the Erie Art Museum. She has also directed Tomboy and Water Lilies, which are both available on the Criterion channel if you have the Criterion channel. And actually, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is going to be added to the Criterion collection, which is exciting. Quick little bit of trivia. Uh, The director and one of the actresses, uh, Heloise, played by Adele Hanel, they used to be lovers, and they split um, before the making of this film. Um, So maybe an extra added dimension. uh, Background. Dynamics. Mm. Yes. So uh, this, takes, that. <laughs> yeah, this takes place in France in the 1700s. As I let in last week, it's a story of a woman who is set to be married, not her choice. And she is um, supposed to have a portrait painted of her. She's gone through one painter already uh, who quit and a new painter, Marianne, who is played by Naomi Merlant, comes in as someone who's supposed to take her out on walks, chat chat with her a little bit, but actually in secret, she is supposed to be painting this portrait of her and the two fall in love. And I think that's probably all we need as a setup. Uh, The film has no musical score, which I actually didn't really notice at all. And for you techies out there, it was shot in 8K on a red Monstro, and it looks beautiful. So what did you guys think of Portrait of a Lady on Fire? I thought it had John Lyons written all over it. (laughs) Yeah. Totally a John Lyons film. Yep. So what does that mean? (laughs) Really good, really cinematic, uh, very slow and drama, and an enjoyable watch. Understated, definitely quiet. Um, definitely a slow burn and a less is more. Foreign. John, you love the foreign films. 
Okay. It's in French. Yes, Mike. Go ahead. I'll, I'll jump in here. Uh, so you mentioned I was going to mention the Red Monstro because I, I I think I'm not positive. I think this might actually be the, from a techie standpoint. This is the first film that I'm, I think was shot with the mon- the Red and Monstro and stuff like that. So do I, I guess we'll go with this first. Um, John, what did you think about the look of it? Because it immediately jumps out. And it's this beautiful film, beautiful film. But is there something about the nature of the story that it's telling that it's almost too pristine that it's just like there's something that's lost a little bit uh, that has if they had elected to shoot it with film? Oh, that's an interesting point. Um, I thought that it worked really well because there's so many dark scenes with very minimal um, practical lighting, supposed. Um, yeah, very and, in with the, the lighting, using everything naturally and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, using that and the flexibility. So there's outside scenes where they're out on a beach, out by the water, which, you know, is hell of a different kind filming um and then you have very dark scenes on the inside so i think probably they wow we're jumping into the technical talk um the shot that really from a shot perspective or from a technical aspect that you could really see the uh ak and the processing of the camera at work was at the very beginning when she arrives and the first walk they go in and there's this tracking shot because she's not showing her face and it follows her outside. And Stu, you can probably test this, but anybody who's standing has, waiting at the bottom of the stairs and they Yeah, and anybody okay. who's had to try to do that shot, and you think right away that it's gonna be this majorly overexposed. Now, granted, there's a little bit of color correction going on, but for them to be able to follow that <laughs> shot and to come in from the shadow and out to this, you know, what is gonna be this sort of ambience of like of light. They, they definitely had a third operator running the iris control that day. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But still, I think it's interesting how a, a, a lesbian romance and you guys hop right into the uh, technicals <laughs> of the camera. I rewatched that shot. That, John. No. When I saw that shot. Can you guys steer us back to uh, plot in the in the film for a minute? It's two two points about the plot in the film. Sorry, Erica, real quick. That, to get into that real quick. It's like a novel. It's definitely like something that like, you know, back in like the 50s and 60s, where it's like a lot of action is not necessarily, it's not action. It's a real lot of psychological stuff that's happening. And so it's like sort of an old school sort of way of telling a story, something that you would read from like Saul Bellow or something like that. And, uh, and then the other thing you had mentioned it before from the music. And cause I had caught it a little bit when Erica was watching it this morning and stuff like that was that boy, the silence and then the use of it when you think about the fact that that would only be the audio or that would only be the time that they would hear music. Plus there's a huge payoff at the end that don't want to like. Just to follow up on what Mike just said, the music, because there's hardly any of it is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And the scene when the women are on the beach and they start singing and clapping in multiple parts, that is so hard. And the fact that they just do it, meaning, I mean, a real group would have to practice so much to be able to pull that off. And it was incredible, incredible. That was one of my favorite points in the movie. And what I really loved is what came after that, the scene with, um, I can't remember the woman who- uh, Sophie. Sophie. The young girl. Yes, where she goes for, um, well, I don't want to give any spoilers. Right. Um you know, she's involved in a situation. And then after that, Heloise, John, am I right, Heloise? Yeah. Heloise says, we need to paint this because Heloise is always saying to um, Marianne, Marianne, you know, it, it shouldn't be perfect. Like the painting should be capturing. Um, it shouldn't be like following these rules and portraying someone perfectly that it should capture real emotion in real life. And so I loved that whole sequence, starting with the the singing on the beach to the painting of Sophie that was so real. That's cool. And you got the, just to pile onto that when uh, So Marianne does one version of the portrait um, without really knowing Heloise. Right. And then as they get to know each other, 
um, quite intimately, there's another one. And I thought that was interesting how they showed that visually. You know, I'm a, I'm a non-painter, and uh, I thought that was very interesting to kind of show just the subtle changes in that experience, um, well, how you got very different paintings. So subtle was the film starts off with a portrait, a painting that you never see again. Right. And as soon as you, you, you see it, it doesn't really mean much to you, but by the end of the movie and you reflect back to like the first scene of the movie and you're like, oh, yeah. that's a great moment too. I mean, Mike was saying before how it really has a great payoff ending. And I think that's part of it is the reflection back. I like the themes they added with the, the Greek story of Orpheus just because mm -hmm. I, I really love that stuff, but it was a really clever way uh, to incorporate that story because in that story, he's not allowed to look at her and the whole plot of this film is her looking at her to be able to paint her. So it's yeah. very clever. I liked it. Do you think that there's also something at play in the film? Because uh, I think, you know, sometimes it's interesting from a narrative standpoint that there's these moments of like intersection and crossroads where the Heloise and Marianne, Mar like they go on to live very different lives. And it's a little bit of Marianne's story as an artist. And it's clearly a seminal moment for her to go on and sort of evolve because even when the, even in the confines of the week that she is there, you know, she starts, as Eric is saying, she starts to seize upon the moments and start, you know, immediately putting a brush to canvas. And uh, it, it would be interesting on some level, like, you get a little bit of a idea of the work behind her when they show the gallery at the end, but she is clearly growing as an artist from the moment uh, at the beginning. And then you, so it's almost, it's, it's really kind of sad because Marianne goes, Marianne goes on to become a much more prolific artist clearly. Mm -hmm. And Eloise goes on to live Marriage. her life on the line. Marriage. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was so like incredibly sad at the end and that moment, which we won't spoil here, but uh, that visual cue at the end, I thought was um, fantastic. Mm -hmm. So simple, I, which I, I guess I would sum up the whole movie is uh, it was really simple and it really relies just on glances and looks to really um, build what I thought was such a strong, powerful, beautiful chemistry between these two people. Yeah, understated, as you guys said, but I thought, um, you know, with uh, very little dialogue, it really conveyed quite a lot of emotion. I thought the and costume what? work too. The 8K, I thought, really brought out the costume work because you could really see the detail on some of the uh, uh, dresses, which was quite fabulous. They just don't make them like that, you know, or people don't yeah. wear stuff like that. Yeah, those greens and reds were really popping. Yes. When even, even she finally, you know, she's sitting in her green dress and she grabs the bottom of the skirt and she kind of pulls it up just a little bit and it creates this drape with this shadow and it's satin or whatever it is. But I feel like I've seen that so many times in painting and love it and appreciate it. That beautiful dynamic texture in a fabric. And even in her skin, you know, watching her paint her skin and she gets to the end and she says, how do you know it's done? She's like, well, you just stop. <laughs> because you could keep adding that detail and that dynamism uh, to, to the skin or, or to the fabric. It's beautiful. And one quick note, the post-production from the editing standpoint, it's a really interesting <laughs> film. Well, because there's, it, it's, it's the, it's the device at that point of like, not necessarily what they are showing you, the shots that they're showing you, but the shots that they're not showing you, uh, people's reactions and stuff like that. It's just like, there's some real interesting choice um, being made there. I mean, like you get, again, at the end, you get Heloise, you get her view of what's happening, but you never get Marianne's at the end. And like, there's some interesting, it's, like it's very slight of hand on some level and you can maybe assume, but like everything about this movie is reserved and holding back. Well, it's her story. It yeah. is. Her story. Yeah. So anyways, we that can't ruin it. Don't want to ruin it. Right. right. It connects. You're right though, Mike, it does connect directly to character. Um, yeah. The editing style through and yeah. through. Good choice, John Lyons.
I'm glad you guys liked it. That's cool. And again, if you guys like, um, I, I mean, I, again, I love Girlhood, her previous movie. Um, if you subscribe to the Criterion channel, um, you can find all of her other films on there. They're all fantastic. Mm -hmm. And this one was on Hulu. So yeah, this one's on Hulu. It will be eventually on the Criterion channel, but yeah, this one you can find on Hulu. Check it out. Which now comes to the segment where I choose a series, and I'll have to say that I watched this a second time and wasn't happy with it. So I apologize for anybody who did. Oh, <laughs> I, I was digging it. What's um, What's the spy about? Okay, well, the spy uh, basically tells the story of Israeli's most prominent spy, who is Eli Cohen, and how he infiltrated the Syrian government in the late 1960s. Uh, we watched the first three episodes. It was directed by Gideon Raff. It stars Sasha Baron Cohen, the better known as a comedian. Uh, and he was actually nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Performance uh, in a miniseries or motion picture made for TV. Um, the first time I watched it, I liked it a lot. Uh, but then the second time coming around, I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't prepared to watch it a second time. Or maybe I'm just not good at watching things a second time. But I thought, you know, initially it was shot well. But it, it just kind of had a drag to it. I don't know if it was really historically correct from other articles I'd read about it, but um, I don't know. You know. Give me your opinion. What do you do, what'd you think? I think Cohen kind of carried the whole show. And, you know, when he goes into a role, he really dives in. And this was no exception. Like, he, I really believe this character he became. But everything that's interesting about the show, in my opinion, is him. <laughs> I agree. Noah Emmerich, he seemed very just flat. Yeah, and he's usually fantastic. Like, he's right. great. Yeah, that's what I thought. At least the second time coming around. And maybe, you know, because I binged it too the first time. I wasn't too crazy. But Erica, what'd you think? Well, I'm not going to lie. I was a bit distracted watching the second two episodes. I was like doing some gardening while watching. <laughs> um, was there a re I mean, was there Were you a not into it or? Um, yeah, I was not into this. Um, it was, um, it was very drab. I, I don't know if it's, if, if my, um, if it's me, but it was so, the color palette was so drab and it was so serious. And it had a desert tone to it. That's for it sure. It did have a tone. And like, I've learned about myself. I don't necessarily do well with movies that every five minutes it goes, okay, now you're in this time in this location and now you're in this location and now you're in this location. And I find myself um, struggling, like struggling to keep up with who is who, where they are. I don't dislike espionage. Um, I like a tight, espionage movie well you're gonna hate my next choice then. what's that <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. i said you're gonna hate my next choice it's back to the future no i'm, just <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm kidding yeah I, I i guess i i wasn't a fan i thought there were some things that were charming about it in the first episode um i like sasha baron cohen in this role i think he he looks the part, but maybe it just, it started me off on the wrong foot seeing him without fingernails. Cause you know that he's been tortured and he has a pre a rabbi there to hear his confession or whatever. He's writing his story. I was so grossed out by that, that it kind of set my tone for like, I don't know if this is for me. I don't, I don't know if this is for me. If it's handled well though, that, that setup can work really well i felt like it felt a little um i was telling Stu, it felt like a little b level to me like mediocre um i felt like it it felt like um sasha baron cohen was like uh this was like a showpiece to show that he can do serious roles and i thought the more that i watched i felt like his acting wasn't very convincing to me, I thought he, he got kind of weaker and weaker the more that um, it kind of delved more into character. So I don't I don't know if because um, usually I was trying to think of any other comedic actor that I've watched that I thought did 
not really well on in dramas and i really couldn't think of somebody why do they always think like because i'm thinking that too i'm like why do all comedians think they can always do drama you know which but i, I couldn't think of anybody could you can you think of somebody that hasn't pulled jim it carrey. off I, jim carrey can do drama and comedy yeah no, and that's yeah I, I can only think of ones that can do both i will ferrell belushi did he do struggle. a serious one that no. was really that good Belushi, at least, what like Continental Divide. I mean, yeah, that wasn't that great. But I think his performance is actually. I, I know this is. We're going into a weird, yeah, like, yeah. B movie from the nineteen seventies. But like, and what was the one he did with uh, Spielberg, nineteen eighty or nineteen? It's one of the more rare Spielbergs. I think it's like nineteen eighty one or something like that. It's like not. And him and Dan Aykroyd play like co pilots in a <laughs> in a war torn world. It's a Spielberg movie. It's one of the early Spielberg ones. Uh, and Belushi is still, like, as an actor, pretty engaging. It was just always about the material with him on some level. Anyways, anyways, we're just yeah. saying co- comedians as actors, yeah, and taking se- serious roles. But uh, I, I don't think Will Ferrell does great in dramatic roles. Uh, there's that uh, Everything Must Go film that he did. Uh, there's also the one where he plays, like, a grave digger with Ed Harris and stuff like that. Or, like, it's, um, yeah, there you go. That's something. Yeah, but yeah. He, He's somebody, it's, he hasn't quite hit the mark on that level. Well, what did one you of think? my favorite movies is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Jim Carrey is incredible. Oh yeah, that's great. So, yeah, he does it for me. He does it for me. <laughs> so before hopping to Mike, I felt that like the dramatic tension didn't, it didn't work. And I felt like through the whole first three episodes, I felt like just something feels off. And Erica, it was tough for me to get through the last two episodes. Like normally when I try a series, I'll give it two episodes. Personally, after this one, I would have, I would have stopped after two. What did you think, Mike? Full disclosure, work got the better of me this week. So I did not get to it. You see, this is where I was saying about the rules where like you get to take a hard pass or you get to you know, like a breather on one. <laughs> or I you watch the pilot and you're actually, not quite feeling it. I just a guest though. Well, let me be honest. I really actually am looking forward to watching this. Like this is on, this has been on my list for a long time. I, it, this week, just work. Yeah, but do you still want to watch it after we all kind of gave yeah. it? Yeah, I do. I have to watch Devs. I've known the story for a while about this. Like, like he's he's very famous in Israel and stuff like that. So I am. I have been like sort of curious about uh, the interpretation that they were going to give to this. It's it's yeah. I'm a sucker for espionage stories, by the way. And I wanted to bring it around real quick. Do you find that like espionage movies sometimes have a tough time on repeated viewing? Because it's like, at that point, the mystery or the shroud is like, it's like, you know it as a viewer. And yeah. it does, it's not always rewarding the second time through. Yeah, because Bourne is only good because of the action. <laughs> Did anybody need to look at Matthew, or Dame, yeah, Matt Damon too. So I could rewatch the Bourne movies a hundred times. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, different, you know. Does anybody have a film that like, an espionage film that they think is more rewarding on the second time around? I just rewatched Knives Out and I thought it was great the second time around. Is that espionage? Uh, it's not about. really a spy movie at all. You're right. A mystery. Never mind. One, I watched I watched Hunt for Red October again recently and I wasn't too impressed. Oh, oh come really? on. I love it. Sean Connery as a Russian. Yeah, I mean, that was all kind of good and everything. But Alec Baldwin, I just, he fell short. Yeah. Uh, God, I uh, love that. I got one for you. Uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, I think. The first Which one I watched. One? Not the new one, the older one, right? I love the older ones with Alec Guinness. Um, yeah, my dad loved that shit. Hard, Maybe to find, I'm into it. hard to find it. And if you ever get a chance to, I've read that ser- that trilogy before, uh, but the they did a sequel to it called Smiley's People. And uh, that's even yeah. better than Tinker Tailor. Um, I think BBC but, did a, a, a series on it too. They did. They did. It, that's really hard to find, though. I don't know. I don't know where you could find that streaming and stuff like that. But uh, as far as the one that they, the adaptation they did with Gary Oldman, I didn't love it the first time I saw it, and I've read, I had read the books. Uh, but that one on repeated viewing is incredibly rewarding. I'll have to remember that. Yeah. I actually just cut, watched I Tanya the other night for the first time. <laughs> that was special. That's, that's <laughs> What's our verdict on the spy? Pass. I'd One say thumb up. 
I'd say watch just, watch the pilot if if you're if yeah, it interests like you it. if you're feeling it, keep going. I'd it's only six episodes and that's it. It's 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 not like it's there's going to be multiple seasons. It ends so. Okay. Something to keep in mind. If you love espionage, watch. Yeah, you'll like it. If you're like me and you're like, mm, don't it's watch. It's no chick flick. It's no chick flick. It's no dumpling. <laughs> It's no great uh, spy show. Dumpling. Either. What do you vote? Dumplin or spy? It's a dumpling. I would pick dumpling over the spy. So what do we have lined up for next week's episode, guys? Uh Age Before Beauty. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so I am recommending The Boys, which is a show you can watch on Hulu. And it was, uh, it's a show about superheroes. So before that stops you, I'll tell you a little bit about it. It was created by uh, Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson, who did a comic run in the mid 2000s. And it's been trying to make its way to the screen for over a decade. There were some big names attached to it. Um, Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen were on the project for a really long time. Finally, it's been, it was made for Amazon by Eric Kripke, who's kind of spearheaded the whole project. But the story basically is a world where superheroes exist. These heroes are owned by a private American organization, which markets them and monetizes them. And there's just heavy capitalist propaganda throughout. They're on every product. There's reality shows about them. You start to suspect they're not even around to actually stop crises or save the world. It's just all about how they appear to the public. That's Everyone, they're, they're basically treated real. as celebrities. <laughs> yeah, it gets, uh, the, the, the actors do such a good job of making them not unlikable, but they just have all these inhibitions and they, they, they just reminded me of like high maintenance actors. Are you sure not likable? Aquaman? Yeah, there's some definite unlikable things about (laughs) this version of Aquaman. Uh, And and even in the pilot, when you see uh, how that goes down, you're going to be like, what is going on? Um, But the show focuses on two groups. One is called The Seven, which is basically this universe's version of the Justice League. And it's pretty close. It has like an exact carbon copy of a Superman, a Wonder Woman, a Flash and Aquaman, they're all there. And then the other group is the boys, which is a group of vigilantes who are trying to keep these corrupt heroes in check, but they're just uh, everyday people and they get into all kinds of trouble. But there's some uh, some good names. Elizabeth Shue does a great job. And I think Carl Urban is the, the strongest actor in the bunch, but everyone else um, I would say is mostly is unknown. Bones? Is that Dr. Bones? It is. Yes, from Star Trek. Yeah, his This is the role he was meant to play. Definitely. He's a disgruntled ex-CIA who just hates superheroes. And um, the show gets pretty violent. I will say that. Uh, I know it turned a lot of people off. I will say compared to the comic, the comic is 10 times more violent. And I think this show really did a, a good job of making it more, more tolerable to the average show watcher. So, yeah. Cool. Give it a shot. Just to clarify, this is on Amazon Prime. The boys on That's Amazon what I, Prime. Yeah, because Eric Yeah, it was made for Amazon. Thank you, John. No problem. It sounds like some of us may have seen this before, so that's cool. What you, did you think? Okay, save it. Save now, just save it, save it, save it. <laughs> is there lots of cgi in it yeah i mean yeah. for the superhero effects sure he loves it it's not a documentary what <laughs> i oh i sure hope not so my uh i had choice of film this week and i actually watched this twice already because i actually i think this is a good choice and i'm choosing the king um, and The King is a 2019 historical drama based on various plays from William Shakespeare, specifically the uh, uh, William IV, or Henry IV, excuse me, and Henry V uh, stories. It's directed by David Michaud, uh, written by Michaud and Joe Ed- Joel Edgerton. 
Again, I've spoken about Joel Edgerton in the past, how I've becoming a fan of him. He's also an Australian actor and producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars Timothy Chalamont, Joel Edgerton, Sean Harris, Lily Rose Depp, Robert Pattinson, and Ben Mendenhall. And it is streaming on Netflix. Yeah, it's a really good period piece. It's a great version of the story. Uh, I love the way it's shot. The costumes are awesome. A um, little bit of humor, a little bit of sex, a little bit of drama. It's got a little bit of everything. I mean, Shakespeare, what can you say? So There's, uh, there's a yeah. lot of actors I like on that list. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good actors. A lot of good actors. Ben Mendenhall, he plays uh, King Henry. Did you say Ben Mendelsohn? <laughs> Mendelsohn. What, what did I just say? Mendelhall. Mendelsohn. Yeah, Mendelsohn. Uh, and then Pattinson plays the French king. That's Pattinson, I'm, I'm more impressed yeah. with a lot of the work that I'm seeing. Now, Robert Pattinson, who he's going to be the new Batman. Um, I saw that too. He's great. He hasn't he hasn't done a bad movie since Twilight. So who is, has anyone seen the King Water yet? Elephants. Oh, I didn't see it. I didn't see that one. It's funny you said that. My mom's reading that book right now, and I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, it's like not Kirsten Dunst, but who's in it with him? Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, I'm like, Ugh. it's a mess. Like, you can see why they might have gotten been attracted to it, but it's a mess. Yeah, yeah. So has anybody seen this thing, though? Has anybody sitting yeah. here seen? So you saw, right? Okay. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. I can't wait to hear what everybody thinks. I'm, I've been looking forward to it. I've been needing a reason to watch this one. It's a period piece. So, Erica, you might like it because you like... Uh, 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 good Outlander. movies. What do I like? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and that's funny because... Um, I was going to bring that up when I mentioned, so we did a, um, I did a little uh, post on Facebook just to find out what our audience is watching. You know, what is everybody else watching, you know? And we got a lot of really great comments and Stu, I was really surprised to see that you responded to Stella Ruggiero's comment that she's watching Outlander Mm -hmm. the first season. And yeah, yeah, I saw it too. Still is, yeah, she, so yeah, I mean, it's a Harlequin romance. I never thought I'd ever want to get into these things. And we ended up, like I said in the comment, we uh, uh, bought or subscribed to Stars uh, to get the current season. But yeah, I think it's great. I think guys and women will like it. Lots of sex, you know. Lots of sex. For the men and the ladies. Lots for the yeah. ladies, I'd say too. Yeah. So don't fash Sassanak. Oh, good job. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Who is really watching it? Wow. So, the, I mean, I do have to give Outlander a little bit of a plug. It's yeah. on Netflix right now. It's, in my opinion, the first season is the best. It's just the tightest story and the most beautiful to look at um, because Scotland is so gorgeous. You know, they shoot it there. As the As the seasons have gone on, I really struggle with Scotland being North Carolina, it's, it's not North Carolina. Like you just yeah. Well, uh, the creative arts, you know. Yeah. yeah so anyway, I mean, I, I've been technically too, I've been watching, and like the directors are changing every episode. All the positions are rotating. I mean, it's literally become part of the machine. I wouldn't be surprised if the last season's approaching soon. So I don't but, know. Yeah, it's good. It's, books, Stu. Yeah. I doubt they're gonna let it go without all ten wrapping the story up but this is about outlander but i just yeah. wanted to point out that yes you you commented on our what are you watching that you are watching outlander but there's so many cool things and john i wanted to ask you about something hmm. a lot of people are kind of binge watching series but you have dirty money and i was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit because i i've heard and i'm very curious Oh, sure. Uh, so Dirty Money is a, um, it's a series on Netflix. You only get like six episodes per season. The second season came out recently and it's about corruption across the globe and uh, wealth inequality and how um, the rich get richer and eat the poor. And yeah, it's, it's a great uplifting series. It'll really just piss you off. Yeah, I, say, I watched the first season and every episode, it very well done by the way, but every episode it was just like my blood was boiling. Yeah. Is yeah, it like doc, uh, docu style or fiction? Yeah. 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 Oh. Yep. Okay. No, no, it's real. It's really <laughs> real. No, yeah, I'm, like uh oh sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna keep letting you guys know that um so R. A. Mihailov. 
who I believe attended our Halloween party. Yeah, Leatherface. Uh, yes, Leatherface from All season right. th- or from the third. I think it's the third. The third, the third uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, he is really into sci-fi. <laughs> He's going back and forth between Twilight Zone and Cheap Eats on the Cooking Channel. So huh. Leatherface watch sci-fi and food shows. He should watch devs. I think right, he should like watch devs. You know, what one of the, the... Go ahead. Well, Angie Devine, Angie out there, she's watching um, TCM, Turner Classic Movies, and they're watching classic films every night. She must be talking about, you know, her family, that she's introducing her kids to Captain Nemo and talking about how you film underwater. Um, and you know, that that's one of the things that's really cool. I think parents have time to spend with their kids. And so, whereas before you might've watched a movie, talked about it throughout, but in this case, they're going a lot deeper. They're talking about what it's like to film underwater and looking up Jacques Cousteau and, and kind of diving deep. And I love that. I hope that a lot of families are doing that right now. Is this the same one that's being curated by Steven Spielberg, by the way? He's right now working in affiliation with AFI and they're they're recommending, I think it's like a film a day or something like that from the the classic list and stuff like that. And then he does like a Q and A. They've been doing it for about a little more than a week now. And uh, the first one was Wizard of Oz and uh, he's working through some of the classics. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Find the link for that, man. Let's repost that. Okay, I'll send you the link. Yeah, well, I just found it. But yeah, that's a great it's it's a great idea to have a little to go a little bit deeper on that. Uh, it looks like tonight they're doing Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Right, Brad. I love that movie except for the very end. Actually, there's two things I don't like about that movie. What? <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that movie. Uh, the soundtrack can't stand that song for one thing. Give love to Burt Bacharach. Come nope. on. Nope. I think that that song does not belong in that movie. Thank you so much. In the middle of nowhere, you're listening to Burt Bacharach. Right, man, that song just does not belong in that movie. And then at the very end, I cried my eyes out when I first saw it. So that's why I just don't like it. I'm with you on that. I'm I'm with you on that. So a lot of people are binging series. Big surprise. Um, I wanted to point out what um, Freda Tepfer posted about, which... I watched recently and was really good. I would recommend is American Factory. Oh yeah, that was great. Story of a a manufacturing plant in Ohio that's purchased by a Chinese company and about the uh, kind of clashing and, you know, the connection and clashing of cultures, American and Chinese. Um, I would highly recommend it. And I believe it's the first movie that was produced by the Obama's um, production company. I can't remember exactly what yep. called. No, you're right. Yeah. Second, second documentary is on second. Netflix now too. It's called Crip Camp. I haven't seen it yet. Crip Camp? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's supposed to be excellent. Okay. Crip Camp, everybody. Didn't American Factory win the Oscar? Remind me, guys. Nominated. I don't know if it won. So that's been our episode. Check out Portrait of a Lady on Fire on Hulu and The Spy on Netflix. And let us know what you think in the comments section on Facebook. Make sure you follow us on social media. You'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Film Grain.